Today's reading is Jonah 3, 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This is the word of the Lord. King's Quest students, you are dismissed to the lobby. The rest of us may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. Yes. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, I have a few quick announcements for you before we jump into our sermon. The first one is we have our next uh, ABCD or asset-based community development meeting this afternoon at 11.30 following the service. If you haven't been a part of these but would love to uh, come check it out, we would love to have you. There'll be food. Um, there's even, I think, a few spots for childcare if that would be helpful for you. Uh, we would love as many people as possible in this church to participate in this process. If you haven't heard about it yet, basically what we're doing is we are asking God and we are asking the city how can we love the city better? And so we're, we're in the early stages of about a six to nine month process of getting to know a community, getting to know the assets within that community, and then seeing what partnerships the Spirit may be inviting us into so that we can not only display who God is, but also proclaim who God is as well. So we're excited for that. Feel free to stop by if that interests you. Uh, in addition to this, we have a little, uh, an update regarding children's ministry. So. Um, I'm gonna, I think one of the best ways to frame this is maybe share a little bit of, of our experience coming to Grace. Now we understand because we came from a church uh, who survived COVID, that COVID made everything crazy in church world and in the regular world. And so as we um, started to integrate into this community, one of the things that, that we noticed was there are a lot of moving pieces with children's ministry. Now this is not good, bad, indifferent. This is the reality of what happens post-COVID when volunteers shrink, but kids don't. <laughs> so we realized there was some weeks that kids would be in service, some weeks kids would be out of service. There was great intentionality with the times that we invited children into service with us. And, and we've seen some of uh, what happens with that, the ways that kids are learning songs and learning scripture and engaging. And we also, if we're honest, and I've had conversations with many parents out there, out there, there are challenges as well with having kids in service. And so these were lots of conversations. Conversations, thankfully, that Shannon, our former children's director, was so helpful in, in, in helping us to see the reality of the good that comes from having kids in service. So this is one of our values. This is one of the values that will continue. But we also realize we want to be hospitable and welcoming. 
And there's a challenge that occurs when uh, you're inviting your friends who, who maybe haven't been to this church or haven't been to church uh, ever or in a while when some weeks kids are going there, then some weeks they're here, and then some weeks are dropping off, and some weeks we're just kind of all over. So what we want to do is maintain this value of our kids being in the worship service with us so that they can experience uh, what it means to participate in church life through that avenue and be hospitable to new people. So this is what we wanna do moving forward. We have been doing first Sundays, kids are in service with us. Fifth Sundays, kids are in service with us because we wanna be intentional. And so we have been praying and talking and rethinking that element. So now kids will be in service just like they were today for the beginning of service, uh, for singing, for hearing the word of God read aloud. That will continue. We're gonna take away the first and fifth Sunday where kids are in, in service for the entirety of the service so that we can be selective and intentional with which services we are inviting them into. As a parent, I know. <laughs> it's a challenge sometimes, especially with our, our youngest, to have him sit through an entire sermon. So when we do Remembering Rightly in January, we feel like this is an important service for the life of our church and we would love to have the kids in that entire service. When we do Pentecost after Easter, we saw the incredible ways that uh, the Spirit moved during that service, and that's another one that we would love to have the kids continue in with us. Um, next Sunday, and this will continue, we're going to be, be doing a service focused on the youth, focused on the next generation. We had junior high camp come back and, and, and have incredible stories of how God moved. High school camp has just gotten back on Friday, and there's incredible stories there of how God has moved. So we would love to have the kids see and experience that as well. And then as always, our Christmas Eve service is another foundational service that we would love to have the kids participate uh, in with us. So it's not that we don't no longer have this value. No, we still have this value. We just wanna be intentional and strategic and hospitable with how we invite kids into service. Does that make sense? Okay, so in those services, expect some elements for the kids. Right, like on the one hand, we're calling the kids to step up and hey, pay attention, this is important. On the other hand, as the rest of the church, we wanna consider the kids and how can we engage them? How can we stoke their imaginations for who Jesus is and how he is calling them to live? So that's the plan moving forward. We're excited for this because we feel like it maintains who we are, our value in the next generation, our value of inviting kids into service and allows us a little bit of flexibility to be hospitable and welcoming for people who may not be as familiar with, with church culture and church rhythms as, as some of us are. Make sense? All right, if you guys have questions um, afterwards, feel free to grab me uh, or Beth, I'll volunteer you for that also. Uh, and, and you can chat with us about this. So those are the announcements that I have, ABCD and children's ministry. We're gonna jump into Jonah. Uh, and today we're going to tackle chapters two and three. So uh, we did one chapter last week. We're going to do two chapters this week. And in light of that, will you guys pray with me before we start this? Father, you're good and you are present here with us. And you bless us with your word. We thank you for that. Lord, you have spoken to your word, through your word, to your people for ages. And so we anticipate that you will do that again today. We invite you to do that again today. Lord, we ask that you would, as you have been doing, continue to peel away the layers of our heart that are resistant to you. Lord, would your word be like a mirror 
that shows us the ways that we're like Jonah, the ways that we're like Nineveh. The constant is you, your goodness and your love and your truth. So would you speak that to us today? We thank you for what you will do. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So Jonah chapter 2 and 3, and admittedly, uh, we're going to start with the last verse in in Jonah chapter 1 because I intentionally did not include that last week. This is what the last verse in Jonah chapter 1 says. It says, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So here comes the fish. The thing that we all know about Jonah, the thing that we all remember if you went to Sunday school about Jonah, or maybe if you didn't grow up in the church going to Sunday school, the thing that you're skeptic about, this fish. What do we do with the fish? Was it an actual fish? Was it a whale like most people remember from Sunday school art? Now there's tons and tons and tons of writing about the fish. There are marine biologists who have done research into what kind of sea creature could have had a mouth that would fit a human as well as an esophagus that could fit a human and what was going on. There's lots of debate about whether maybe this was a symbol, right? The the God that Nineveh served was the God Dagon and it begins with D-A-G, which is the word in Hebrew for fish. So was it a symbol of Nineveh that he was going to go into Nineveh? Uh, There's other research that says, no, there was actually this constellation that can only be seen in the darkest nights, and it's called the belly of the fish. So that's actually what Jonah was seeing. He was in the ocean out at sea, but he actually wasn't in a fish. I don't know what's right. This is what I know. The God creator of the universe spoke to a person in history, gave him a message of repentance and condemnation for the largest, most evil superpower of that day, and they repented. I'm not saying the historicity of the fish is unimportant. What I am saying is when we look at the story of Jonah, If the thing we fixate on is whether this was a a humpback whale or some kind of other, maybe a giant squid from days of old, I think we may be missing the point. Not that it's unimportant. If you're really excited about marine biology, that's great. Thank God for you. There's plenty of articles you could read and learn more about this. But for us today, I think that it may be a bit more challenging for us to realize what Scripture is doing. Scripture is reminding us that there is a God who created everything, who is sovereign over everything, who desires relationship with us. A God who communicates with us. A God who not only gives us these these valuable lessons that are always true, but gives us direct words for our current context which includes us individually, right? Jonah had to make choices. Was he gonna be obedient? Was he gonna obey God? Was he gonna go, right? Like God speaks to us and God speaks about our context, the culture out there, the world, as scary as the world may be. God gives us a message for the world also. The words that God speaks are still relevant. Not only in abstract ways we should be loving and we should be kind and we should forgive, 
but in direct ways that confront the realities of the culture in which God has sent us. It's not an accident that you are alive in 2022. God created you a certain way to have a a unique style of embodying his gospel for those people who don't yet know him that he's bringing you in contact with. It's not an accident that you guys are here today. It's not an accident that we're meeting today because God is still speaking. God still has a message for us about how he loves us and how he loves those who don't yet know him. So I'm not saying that the fish is unimportant. But I am saying it may be more incredible that this God of the universe chooses to love us and pursue us and speak to us individually and collectively. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's jump into the text. Now that that fish is out of the way. (laughs) Chapter two. If, If you have a pew Bible, that's the Bible that's underneath the seat. I, th- I think I've said this before. I, in my mind, they're called pew Bibles, but we don't have pews. I don't know why I always say that. If you have the Bible that's underneath your chair, we're going to be on page 774. Uh, starting in Jonah chapter 2, the word should also be on the screen. Jonah chapter 2, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land." So as I'm looking uh, into the commentaries, I want to make sure that what I'm preaching to you guys is is accurate and not crazy. I begin to learn of this debate. There's a debate about Jonah's prayer, and it goes something like this. Was this a good prayer, or was this a mediocre prayer, okay? And so the one argument says, look, 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 Jonah, in his distress, he calls out to God. He realizes, he repents, he has a change of heart. In his distress, he's seeking God, the only one who could save him. Jonah should be commended for this. Then there's another school of thought, and it says this, look, Jonah never once names his sin. Jonah never once confesses that he has disobeyed God, that he has fled from Nineveh. He never tells God he's gonna go do what God commanded him to do. Jonah's prayer is basically this, I'm in trouble, I've ran out of other options, help me. This is a selfish prayer. This is a horrible prayer, right? So where do you land on this? Is this a good prayer? Is this a bad prayer? Are there bad prayers? I don't know. This is what's interesting. Whether it was good or bad, God heard it. 
Whether this is the model for how we should pray only when it's like our last resort and we've hit rock bottom or that this is actual repentance and this is a good thing, here's the reality. God heard it and God did something. It reminds me of my friend. I have a friend from back in Arizona. His name is Steve, and, and Steve is a great guy and, and a really good friend, and Steve is like all about working out. Like there was a time in his life that Steve was actually like a weight, like a, a bodybuilder and like won lots of contests in bodybuilding, and then he turned into like a professional powerlifter and at least as of, as of a few years ago had like continued state records in the state of Arizona for powerlifting, like the guy knows what he's talking about with working out. Now, believe it or not, I don't really work out like Steve does. I don't know if you can tell. But there was one of many cycles in my life where I'm like, ah, I haven't done anything for a while. I should probably like not just be a couch potato, but be active a little bit. So I go to Steve and I'm like, Steve, dude, what, like, what should I do? Like, what's the best, most efficient, Like, I I wanna get huge, and I wanna be shredded, and like, like, what workout should I do? And he's like, you should just work out. And I'm like, yeah, no, 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 I get that, I get that, right? But like, should I do like powerlifting? Should I do HIIT workouts? Like, I hear CrossFit, but then there's like Olympic lifting, like, what should I do? And he was like, well, you should go to the gym, and you should work out. And I'm like, no, dude, I, I, I hear you, but like, I lifted in high school. I know what I'm talking about, right? And he's like, dude, you should just work out. And I'm like, no, but I want to like be the most, he's like, stop. What matters is that you show up and you work out consistently. He's like, I'm not really saying that there's like good workouts and bad workouts. Just show up, do something consistently over and over. And I'm like, but tell me, like, what's the insight, like the secret? And he's like, well, the secret is show up and work out consistently. And I still don't get that. I still want there to be like the easy, like if I just do this exercise, this is what really matters. Like the other stuff you don't really need to do, like cardio, core, like no one wants to work out their core, tell the truth. And I wonder if it's not the same thing with prayer. Like I wonder if we're asking questions, the commentators are asking questions of like, is Jonah's prayer a good prayer or bad prayer? Like how should we model our prayer? Should it be the acts, acrostic? Like do we pray like this? And God is like, hey, pray. Yes, Lord, but should it be silent contemplative prayer? Do we write these beautiful prayers on the wall? Like, how do we? And God is like, just pray. But on a Sunday, right? Like Sunday morning when we're in the same, like that's where the prayers are really, like that's like next level. Or like maybe if you get a pastor or an elder to pray with you, and then if they have the oil, right? Like the oil, that really does something. And God is like, pray. Pray. What is clear from Jonah is that God listens. God heard the cries of his people and other people who were being oppressed by Nineveh. The violence that was happening, God heard and God responded. Even the prayers that weren't necessarily addressed to him. God heard the prayers of the sailors, if you guys remember last week in chapter one. God heard the prayers of Jonah from inside the fish or the squid or the whale or the whatever the heck it was, God heard. Coming up in this next chapter, we're gonna see God hears the confession of the people of Nineveh. God hears. So our call to action is pray. 
Show up on every other Sunday evening and pray here. Show up before service and pray here. Join the prayer team and pray. Pray with your small group. Pray with your family. Pray. 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 So now here's my turn for confession because as I am the co-lead pastor who's preaching on a Sunday about the importance of prayer, the reality is I'm not good at it. My wife would let you know how much she wishes I would pray more with her. I find myself frustrated at the end of the day when I pray with my kids because I know I'm supposed to pray with my kids, but really, I just want them to go to sleep. (laughs) I wish I had it down. I wish I could lead you so well in this. This is what I know. Even my half-hearted attempts, God hears. Jonah's half-hearted attempts in desperation from the midst of his distress, God hears. When we think we're messing it up, he's still with us. He still hears. We have an opportunity to speak with God. And he hears. So pray. Simple point. Let's keep moving. Jonah chapter three. When it's two whole chapters, you know, you gotta go quick, right? We got some material to cover. Jonah chapter three says this, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And I know I just said we gotta go quick, but I need to pause here. The grace in this line. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord that came to Jonah, that commanded Jonah to go to the Ninevites to preach their condemnation and opportunity for repentance, to call out their sins, that Jonah could be, was the chosen one, that God chose to go proclaim this message and Jonah fled the opposite direction, refused to do it, had all of his reasons why he shouldn't be doing it, tried to, got the sailors to throw him into the sea and God in his grace gave his word to Jonah a second time. There were other people in Israel, right? Jonah wasn't like the only dude around. God could have chosen anyone else. God could have chosen somebody who would have been obedient. Yes, Lord, going right away. One way, take it to Nineveh, please. But God in his grace, God in his patience, God in his faithfulness and gentleness sends his word to Jonah a second time. Church, this has been good news for me. I had people who, who were speaking things over my life when I was in high school and I came to faith about you're gonna be in ministry and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be in ministry and then I walked away from Jesus. I didn't wanna do any of it. And I remember one of my mom's really good friends came up to me in the depths of my sin and she was like, you will be in ministry and I'm like, no, I'm not. I have no interest in church, I have no interest, no interest in any of this and she said, he who began a good work is faithful and will bring it to completion. I'm like, I recognize that from the Bible. You just did a Bible thing on me, didn't you? (laughs) And God was gracious, and God called me back to ministry, and then guess what? Failed, walked away, disobedient, hard-headed, and then God in his grace (laughs) invites me back in and invites my family in. And is that, am I the only one? Am I the only one that God has spoken something to and we're like, nope, nope. And the word of the Lord comes a second time. For some of us, a third time, or a fourth time, or a 500th time. 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's not even a main point. That's just a freebie for you. (laughs) The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Verse two, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. So Jonah obeys. Jonah shows up and Jonah preaches. Literally the shortest sermon recorded in all of scripture. English, we get about eight words. In Hebrew, it was five words. So we have all this buildup from the beginning of Jonah. Jonah's gonna go, he's gonna go proclaim to the Ninevites, he's gonna go preach to Nineveh, he's gonna tell them what's going on, he's gonna tell them who God is, and the best Jonah can do is mutter five words. It says a visit would take three days. This was like a saying, right? Like a day's walk was a short distance. Three days was like, oh, okay, this was like a journey. So it's saying Nineveh was a big city. Jonah walks a short distance into it. We don't see any kind of strategy, right? It's not like Jonah walked up to the palace. Jonah approached like the king's advisors or the military general. Dude just like saunters in, mutters five words, and the city repents. This is the most important city in all of Assyria, right? This is like, I don't know, prophet from somewhere that's not the US, walks a few blocks into Washington DC, says five words, and our entire nation repents. And we think the fish is the craziest part of this story. (laughs) So Jonah gives a sermon, half-hearted at best. I like try hard in my sermons and I've never brought a whole city to repentance, let alone a whole church, right? Like, here's the reality, God still moves. Like the images that come to mind are like when our boys fight, it's like go apologize to your brother. Sorry you're a dummy and you made me hit you. Right, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not what God is asking for. This is a measly little five-word sermon. You're gonna be destroyed. No mention of Yahweh. No mention of repentance, right? Half-hearted at best. And God still moves. God still moves when his people speak. So here's the encouragement. People, we, we have these conversations, even see it posted on Facebook sometimes, like, how, what's the best? how do we share the gospel? That's the right question. How do we share the gospel? How do we talk about our faith? Oh my gosh, in this culture, it's so difficult, it's so complex. Yes, 100%, that's the right question. Talk, just speak, just try it. Like, if nothing else, you won't be as bad as Jonah right? If nothing else, you won't be as bad as Jonah. Because church, what we're called to, we're not called to convince anyone. 
We're not called to have the greatest arguments. We're not called to have the most perfect illustrations from current pop culture that everyone can relate to. That's not what we're called to. We're called to bear witness. A witness does not convince the jury. A witness says what happened. This is how my life was. Jesus, this is how it is now. What the listeners do with it, that's between them and God. The spirit is already at work. God has been working on your friend or your family member that you've been praying for and you've been trying to find an opportunity since well before you came along. God knit them together in their mother's womb. God knows every hair on their head. God cares about their salvation way more than you do as much as you do care for it. And this is good news. And so now we have an opportunity to actually preach better sermons than Jonah when we just talk about our faith. What did you do last week? And oh, you know, we went and saw a movie and then we did some yard work around the house and we went to church. Oh, you go to church? Yep. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. So Jonah may not give us the best examples, but like we can pray. <laughs> may not give us the greatest like format for a sermon, but we can talk. What if God is actually calling us to do really simple things? Not really big, elaborate schemes and plans, but just like talk to him, talk to other people. Tell him what he's like. Bear witness to what you have experienced. So Nineveh believes God. They declare a fast. All of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. We're gonna pick up in chapter three, verse six. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with, fear, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So one of the things that's happening in Jonah is uh, there's a liter literary technique or device called a foil. And a foil is when you have two characters or multiple characters that you're comparing and contrasting to each other. And so the, the author of Jonah does this in a few different ways, and Jonah is the primary foil, right? So we see how Jonah responds compared to everyone else. Last week, we talked about Jonah's response compared to the sailors, Right, Jonah's running away from God, he knows who God is and he's running away from him. The sailors don't know who God is and they're calling out to him, okay? We see Jonah, let's go with the, the angle of this half-hearted prayer, right? This mediocre sermon. But now we, we get to compare Jonah with Nineveh. So Jonah calls out to God for help because he has no other choice. Nineveh calls out to God to repent and they don't even know if God's gonna forgive them. Right, it says, who knows, maybe, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The outcome is not important to them, the repentance is. 
So now we have this troubling reality that the book of Jonah does to us. We have God's people represented in Jonah, whether that was ancient Israel or the church today, compared with the world, those who don't yet know who God is. And God's people are not the hero. Now, if you've looked at the news in the last decade, (laughs) this may feel familiar. I wanna be careful here because I think that there's this move in, in Christianity today where the church is the easy target. And I don't wanna just jump on that boat, okay? But I think that there is a reality that people outside of the church, I'm not just talking about grace, but the church in general in North America, have some insights into what's going on. And there's some important truth that we need to hear. What this requires of us, in the great words of Kendrick Lamar, is to be humble. We need to have the humility to be able to hear what God is doing outside of our walls. God has commanded his people to be about justice. There are people outside of the church who do justice better than we do. God has commanded his people to be kind. There are people outside of the church who do kindness better than we do. We're called to be generous, but we find ourselves not the most generous people. We're called to be faithful, and we find ourselves not the most faithful people. And we have examples of this outside of the church that do it better than us. Now, thankfully, I heard a sermon years ago that has always haunted me, and the, the preacher said something like this. He said, when we're talking about the church, we need to be careful. It was the church is the bride of Christ. And there's a way, he says, you could speak to my bride that would call her to repentance. My eyes would fill with tears. I would be overwhelmed with gratitude and joy for what you've done. So there's another way you could speak about my bride, and I would invite you to the parking lot to lay on hands, not holy hands. That resonates with me. Because as much as we can stand outside and see the corruption within the church, I have to admit, I bring that corruption into the church. This is like the basics of our theology, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, co-lead pastors included. That doesn't mean that we have a false sense of superiority, that no, 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 the church gets everything right and we can never say anything against the church. No, there's a tension here. There are prophetic voices who speak truth to the power of the church to bring repentance and refinement to what the church is doing. We need to pay attention to these voices. Sometimes those voices are inside the church. Sometimes those voices are examples like Nineveh. There's the quote, right? Um, There's a quote that talks about critiquing America because of patriotism, not for a lack of it, but like because I care about my country, I call out its flaws because I wanna see my country do better. I, I think we can learn from this. There's a way that we can, in humility, listen to these voices to hear what the critique, the right critique of the church may be so that we can repent like Nineveh. Not because the church is evil and an an institution of oppression and never does anything good or gets anything right. That's not true. If you read history, you know that's not true. 
but because we care about the public witness of Jesus Christ. Because we take righteousness seriously, because we take God's word seriously, we care that we embody it well. And when we're not embodying it well, we have an invitation to confession, which may be the only thing the church does better than the world. We are invited to repent like Nineveh, to confess sins, not put spin, right? Like what's the, the famous politician? Like mistakes were made. That's not confession. That's not repentance. It's not the eye roll and the tone in the voice when you apologize to your brother, but honest confession, this is what I have done wrong. This is the sin that I need to name. This is how I'm bringing it to God and how I'm bringing it to brothers and sisters in repentance. And there are sins that individually we need to name and confess and seek repentance for, and collectively. And collectively. If this is challenging to you, we did a series on um, the story of scripture where we talked about how image bearers are called to create culture, individually and collectively. If we individually sin, then it makes sense that collectively we would sin as well. This requires humility. This requires to lower our defenses and hear the spirit of God speak to us and respond accordingly. Now, church, I get it. This is not easy. <laughs> Everything in our culture teaches us not to do this, right? Like, no one posts their flaws on Instagram. We, like, filter those away. No one just gets up and says, like, this is how horrible I am, right? Like, that, that it doesn't make sense in our culture. But this is what we're called to because we're called to truth and honesty. And I think in this world in which we find ourselves, this is a breath of fresh air. I don't have to be perfect. I can be honest. I can own where I've gone wrong and I can seek repentance and restoration from Jesus who offers it. Because we have a God who hears us when we pray. Because we have a God who uses us when we speak, we have a God who invites us to humility and to repentance. And so we see God act in Jonah and throughout scripture because he loves the world, right? It's the classic John 3.16. Even if you haven't been around church, this verse may be familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Think about this. For God so loved the world that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. For God so loved the world that he brought those sailors who would know how to respond in the storm. For God so loved the world that he even brought the fish as much as we can debate what it was. For God so loved the world that he heard Jonah from the belly of the fish and brought him to Nineveh. For God so loved the world, he provided an opportunity for Nineveh to repent. For God so loved the surrounding villages and nations that he brought Nineveh to repentance. For God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to do this thing perfectly. Because Jonah and the rest of the prophets and the rest of the kings and the rest of Israel and all of us included cannot get it right. But for God so loved the world, he provides an opportunity for us to enter into relationship with him, to confess and receive forgiveness, to commune with the creator of the universe, 
into debate about fish and sea creatures and Jonah. Church, would you pray with me? Father, you love us and you are inviting us. Uh, you're inviting us to a number of things and it would be easier if I knew what you were inviting us into so that I could just say the one thing but the beauty of who you are is you are speaking to each of us individually and uniquely and bringing um, things to mind that you want to deal with. And so Lord, we invite you to speak. Lord, in these moments, we invite you to soften the hard areas of our hearts. We ask that you would bless us with humility, with godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Lord, for some of us, we need that sense of your peace which surrounds us when we're mindful of your presence. We need to hear your voice reminding us that you hear us as desperate as our situation feels right now. You hear us. Would you speak that? Well, for some of us, we're distracted by fish and we need to be reminded of who you are. Lord, would you speak that to us? Lord, for some of us, there are areas, there are areas of arrogance where we have been harsh and critical. We have felt ourselves superior to others. And we forget that we have as much Nineveh in us as Nineveh did. Would you bring a Jonah to speak truth to us? Lord, in these quiet moments, would you, would you speak to us through your spirit? Would you give us courage to respond in obedience? Would you remind us that you are love? that you are safe and kind, and that you invite us closer, you don't push us farther away. Thank you for speaking. We pray these things in your name, amen.